Hi, and welcome to the Reported Missing Podcast. I'm your host, Becca, and today I'm going to tell you exactly what you can expect from upcoming episodes. I also want you to get to know me, where I'm from, my background, and why I decided to do this podcast. So hang tight and don't go anywhere. I know you're going to love what I have in store for you. I was born and raised in Mexico until I was 10 years old. I'm the second oldest of six kids and my siblings and I are pretty close in age. I was really close with my family in Mexico. My grandmas, my cousins, aunts, everyone. We were very traditional. We celebrated every holiday, Cinco de Mayo, El Día de la Independencia, Días de los Muertes, and of course, Navidad. We ate all the traditional foods, homemade tamales, tacos, pozole. You know, I try to make traditional Mexican food, but it will never compare to the way my grandma makes it. Like, you guys know, nothing ever compares to the way your grandma cooks. And that is one of the things that I absolutely miss the most. Another thing is that Mexico is full of history full of history and I remember sitting around the fire with my cousins, aunts and uncles and we just tell stories. Stories of how our great grandparents came to Mexico and spooky stories about the tales of the chupacabras and the brujas that roamed the woods at night. When I was eight years old, I started reading the newspaper every morning with my mom. One morning, I was especially drawn to the paper because the cover photo was taken in my neighborhood. It was a photo of the empty lot in front of my house, actually. And I remember being so excited that we were on the paper that I eagerly turned the page to the story and I started reading the headline. The headline read, and I'll translate it to English, Human Remains of Missing Woman Found. You'd think that alone would be the last time eight-year-old me wanted to pick up the paper again. But it had the opposite effect on me. I wanted to know more. I want to know about the woman. And I do remember being scared and thinking, you know, if, am I safe here? Is my family safe? So many things were running through my mind. But I really wanted to know more about this woman and who she was and why this happened to her. I was really curious and I asked my parents these questions, but it wasn't until I was a little bit older that my parents told me young women were going missing in my community at an alarming rate. Ever since then, I would watch videos or TV segments of missing people. I'd read about missing person cases and I would spend hours after school doing so. And I was so young. I was like in middle school and high school. So a couple of years after that incident, My family moved to Canada for a better life and away from violence. I was so young, but I still understood that we were moving far away and for a long time. Actually, I remember before we left, we visited my uncle and he asked me, do you want to know what Canada looks like? And I was like, yeah, totally. I want to know what Canada looks like. So he sat me down on his computer and Googled some photos. And I just remember thinking like, wow. Just wow, like the way the city was lit up at night and the beautiful Rocky Mountains, all the amazing wildlife, the ocean. Little did I know 
that he was showing me Toronto and Vancouver and we literally moved to a small town in Saskatchewan like small small town with barely any people living in it. Now I live in British Columbia but I really do miss a lot about Saskatchewan. The day we had to say goodbye was the hardest day of my life. I hugged my grandma, my cousins, aunts. We cried. We held each other. But I held on to hope that I would see them again and that in Canada, I would have a better life. When we arrived in Canada, we landed in Vancouver and took a road trip all the way to the prairies, which was a really amazing experience. I felt safe and I felt welcomed. Within days of arriving at our new home, I was put in school. I didn't speak any English and I was forced in a situation where I had to adapt very quickly. That first year was so tough. So tough. I cried myself to sleep every night thinking about my family back in Mexico. I would think about them in the day. I would think about them at night. And then I would dream about them and I dream that we reunited and that I was back at my grandma's having that delicious bowl of pozole and it was just so surreal and I would wake up and I would just be so sad that it was a dream. Initially I was able to get through it because I told myself that it was for the better. I was going to have a better life but that feeling of safety, of security was starting to fade away. My parents were under a lot of stress financially and they were experiencing a lot of culture shock. There was a lot of domestic violence at home which affected everyone's health. It affected my own health in many ways. My parents separated and my mom was left a single mom. She had six kids to take care of and a minimum wage job where she was overworked. That caused her even more stress and she had no family support. She did what she could to make ends meet, but we were on the verge of homelessness. And that was just at home. At school, I was bullied. I was bullied for the way I spoke because I had an accent, for the way I looked, for the way I dressed, for the way I was. I couldn't even go to school wearing a cute outfit and my hair done because I was laughed at. For pretty much my entire grade 10 year, I wore the same basketball shorts and t-shirt to school so that I just wouldn't stand out. I was told I didn't belong almost every single day at school. And I didn't have the courage to stand up for myself. I didn't have the confidence to do that. I was supposed to feel safe though. Like we moved to Canada for a better life. For opportunities away from violence. So why wasn't my life easier now? I thought. So I started turning to strangers online for comfort. I was 14, 15 and I was talking to strangers online because I wanted to get away from my own reality and create a new one. And that's exactly how traffickers target, groom and lure children. Human trafficking is a hot topic on social media right now. It's a very complex issue and I can't even begin to talk about it right now because there are so many layers to it. So I'm going to be doing a whole entire segment on human trafficking and I'm going to be bringing in some experts to host the conversation. 
all of the things that I mentioned, homelessness, domestic violence, bullying, discrimination, racism, this is a reality for many people in Canada. My story is not unique. Immigrants, children, women, people of color, LGBTQ people, people with disabilities, with mental illness, indigenous people are the most vulnerable. Indigenous people have and continue to be marginalized in our society. All of the intergenerational trauma that they've experienced is a direct result of colonization. And this is another topic that we need to have more and one that we are going to have in this podcast. I'm going to be bringing in advocates and experts to talk more about the issues affecting Indigenous people and why we see so many Indigenous people go missing in Canada. Vulnerable people are at the highest risk of going missing and this is backed by evidence-based research from around the world. Last year, 74% of children who were reported missing in Canada were listed as runaways. Why are kids running away? What is going on at school, at home? in society that kids feel like they need to escape. This number is not surprising to me and it shouldn't be to you either. What should be surprising though is why we aren't asking why it's happening. What is being done right now to prevent domestic violence, to prevent homelessness, to prevent bullying? What type of support services are being funded by the government to help people in vulnerable situations? That's what we need to think about. I mean, I can't imagine how many police resources are being spent on daily missing person investigations, many which could be prevented. Last year, 90% of missing person reports were solved within the first week. When I first read this on Statistics Canada, I thought it meant we have the problem under control. But then I asked myself, well, why are so many people being reported missing in the first place? 70 to 80,000 Canadians a year should not be going missing. Our approach to missing persons in Canada is so reactive. We wait for it to happen, for someone to go missing, and then we do something about it. And that's why police is getting funded way more than organizations who offered support services to vulnerable people, to people in need. We're not focused on prevention. We're focused on the response. I am not convinced that prevention strategy even exists in Canada because if it did and if it was effective, 70,000 to 80,000 Canadians would not be reported missing every year. In fact, that number would be going down. But it's not even going down. And to add to that, that's not even the accurate number. That's just the number of people who are reported missing. Many people go missing and are not reported. And right now, there's no way for us to account for them. You know, when I named this podcast, I wanted to give it a name that really represented Canada's view of missing people. And Canada's definition of a missing person is, in a summarized version, someone who is reported missing to police. Again, there are a lot of people who go missing and are not reported, but that's something that we haven't even began to try to understand. Um, So something that we're going to talk about in this podcast as well. 
Ever since learning about the missing person pandemic in my community in Mexico, I've been interested in missing people, but it's my experience as a minority, as a young immigrant female, and my difficult childhood that has made me want to understand the issue at its core. Being bullied for not speaking good enough English when I was young really just fueled me to be better at it. I started writing in a diary every day and I would always participate in class. My principal noticed that I was reading and writing all the time and asked me if I wanted to write the school newsletter, which I did. Then I was asked to write about community events for the town newspaper and I got my first paying job as a reporter in grade 12. After high school, I did a degree in journalism at the University of Regina. Missing persons is an issue much more complex than I can ever begin to describe for you. I've been trying to understand why Canadians go missing, how it affects society, and what is being done to prevent and respond to the issue for a while now. I started a missing persons advocacy page but only recently decided it was time to launch a podcast because I want to reach as many Canadians as possible with this message. Now I'm going to tell you exactly what you can expect in upcoming episodes. So number one, I want to make it clear that the goal of this podcast is to bring a national missing persons framework to Canada and to push our government to fund research on missing persons. Because right now we still don't understand the full scope of the problem. A national framework would help us with four key things. Prevention, response, protection and support. But it's not the job of one. It's a multi-agency effort between scholars, community stakeholders, government representatives, families of missing persons, and policymakers. So you can expect to hear from all of them. The second thing you can expect is that every single week we're going to be talking about a topic. It could be risk factors of going missing, police risk assessment, cold cases, investigative practices, human trafficking, and we are going to discuss each topic in three simple steps. Number one, what we know. Number two, what we don't know. And number three, what we need to know about that topic. I will be doing my homework and interviewing someone who has knowledge or experience on that topic. The third thing you can expect is to hear the stories of missing persons. I want you to hear these stories directly from the families and any challenges they faced while searching for their loved ones. I've interviewed dozens of families and a lot of the challenges they're facing are the same. So there are clearly some flaws in the system that need to be uncovered and that you as a Canadian should know about. And the last thing you can expect is that you can expect me not to know everything. I am not an expert on missing persons whatsoever. I just know that missing persons is a social issue that affects the safety, security, and families of Canadians. And therefore, it's an issue every Canadian should know of. Public knowledge is the first step to making change. Before ending this episode, I want to tell you about next week's episode. It'll be the very first interview and it's with Maureen Trask. Her son Daniel was reported missing in 2011 and his remains were found four years later. Maureen faced many challenges while searching for her son and it inspired her to advocate for policy change and for a national framework. She has done some amazing work in bringing legislation to Canada and I am so excited for you to hear about it and about her son Daniel. 
My website is reportedmissingpodcast.com, which will redirect you to missingpersonscanada.ca. That is my advocacy page. I feature missing person cases weekly in great detail, so make sure to check it out. And you can also check us out on Instagram at reportedmissingpod. I did post a photo on there last week of the uh, empty lot in front of my house where the human remains were found. So if you want to go check it out, by all means, go ahead. I told you about me today, but I want to get to know you too. So go follow me, comment on any of my posts or send me a private message and tell me where you're from, what your name is. And if there's anything that you would like me to cover in this podcast, you can definitely let me know. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.